Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host Jonathan and this is DCI number 133. In this episode, I'm talking to Joe Modulewski about his new game, Abacus. Abacus is a 2D action platformer in the vein of Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden. It's currently in its Kickstarter campaign and you can find links to the Kickstarter as well as trailers in the show notes to this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. here to talk about uh, your new game, Abacus, uh, which is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about who you are. You've released a couple of games before this. Uh, your one-man studio. Tell us tell us who is Joe. Who, what is the um, essence of Joe? <laughs> I'm a dude. I just, uh, I'm just like everybody else. I, I love video games. Um, I'm super hardcore into... Uh, classic video games. I never really grew out of that. I grew up with an NES. Mm, uh, I've been sure. playing video games since I was three years old. Um, you know, I'm... It's, 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 it's hard. I love video games. I've always wanted to make video games. Um, and I love modern video games, but there's just something about classic video games that uh, keep drawing me back, and it's that essence of, like, gameplay is king, gameplay is sure. everything, the moment-to-moment gameplay is, is the pitch of the game. Uh-huh. And as I've gotten a little bit older, I have a family now just starting. Um, you and I talked about that before the show started. Right. Uh, I have a son. I have a wife. Um, I'm finding my time to game is a little bit less and less, uh-huh. and I need to play games that I can get into right away and just play. Sure. Um, so that's kind of who I am. Like I'm, I'm into games, but I, I'm kind of all over the spectrum. I really okay. like new games. I really like old games. I like games that are all about the gameplay. And uh, I like to laugh. I like to be silly. I like to not take take things a little too serious, and I like to be creative, and, uh, you know, I just want to make games for other people that like creative, obscure, little dumb things. <laughs> that was a ramble. <laughs> that is okay. <laughs> uh, that That is awesome. Uh, now, you mentioned that, you know, one of the things that you like about older games is uh, gameplay being king. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that's, like, modern um, that uh, you would point to that's, like, it's a good example of... You know, I don't know a game that still does that. Yeah, um, the, it, it's it's funny because the best examples I think right now, if you're talking the, just the last two or three years, sure, yeah, the best examples I think are both indie games and Nintendo. Mm. Both of them are kind of filling this space that the the AAA blockbuster market is kind of you know moving more towards cinematic or. Um, I say this, but I don't necessarily mean it like this, but hand-holding experiences. They're cinematic experiences. They're experiences meant to constantly be pushing you forward. And there's a lot more in the way of that. Uh, Nintendo's guilty of games like that, too. Um, Story kind of getting in the way. But the one that comes to mind the most, there's a long way to get to it, but um, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, for some reason, really sticks out for games from the last couple years because that game is just all about the moment-to-moment gameplay. It's incredibly polished. It's beautiful. Um... It takes a really simple mechanic, but is constantly evolving it and presenting, you know, um, just really polished, exciting new things for you to do in a platformer. Um, it it really is. There's no story. There's no dialogue. There's no. It's just the game, and I I really like that. Now the the game that you mentioned is is obviously a two D platformer. Do you think there's anything inherent about like two D platforms that makes it easier to be? all about the gameplay as opposed to something that's, you know, 3D or involves 
shooting or whatever the case may be. If you've got a really, um, if you've got a really good gameplay hook, uh, yeah, I think it's easier in a game like that. Um, but if here's the thing: if you don't have a good gameplay hook, there's a lot of very old school or very rudimentary 2D games and stuff like that that do try to shove a story down your throat because maybe it's the developer realizing. Um, they don't have something that really makes the game stand out, so they're trying to distract you. Hmm. Or alternatively, um, they don't. Uh, they're they're not pick your, They're not picking the right avenue to tell whatever story they wanted to tell. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. So there's instances where I could say yeah and no at the same time. Okay, that just uh, that just kind of stood out to me that that's you know that's one of those games, and I guess when I think about. Yeah, you know, unless it's like Dark Souls or something. When I think mm-hmm. of a, a hardcore game, it you know, pixelated two D platformers always come to mind. And yeah, I, I don't know if that's just we played so many of those as kids, and so that's just kind of ingrained in there, or if maybe there's something too that that's, I don't know, one of the purest examples of just kind of gameplay. I, I think I think there is. You're gonna find a lot of stuff like that that's gonna catch that, like you said, um, and I think a lot of it is because uh, a lot of indie developers are my age um you know they're in their late 20s 30s or like early 30s whatever and they grew up playing these games and they miss them mm, so they sure. they miss the aesthetic and they miss that gameplay style and that challenge so yeah we see a lot of 2d platformers that are all about gameplay that are pixel art that are very difficult we see a lot of that these days and we see a lot of those elements of gameplay um in the 2d side scroller pixel art game and mm-hmm. i think it's because people are pining back to what they remember and what they're longing for. Okay. So I think it's, yeah, there's that pattern, but I think it's, you know, more than a coincidence. Sure, sure. Well, you are, you're making your own games now. Uh, how did you get into this point? Obviously, you know, you want to be playing the, the stuff that is really, you're really passionate about, um, but kind of what steps did you take? Did you uh, go to school for game design, or how did you get here? No, uh, I always wanted to make video games. Uh, there wasn't a point in my life that I didn't want to. Actually, I recall all the way through grade school and you know high school being very frustrated that um, none of my guidance counselors and none of the career people, when you have those like career days and stuff like that, they mm-hmm. never took that serious as a potential career when I said yeah. that's what I wanted to do. Uh, um, it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. I, I didn't take that seriously as a kid. Like I remember having friends that were like, hey, I want to make video games. And it's like, that's not a real profession. Yeah, it, it, it really can't wasn't. People can do that. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't really taught like it was. Um, I remember when I got out of high school, um, degrees in like game design and stuff like that were within a couple years um, of even being created. And most industry jobs didn't take them seriously yet. So it was like there was these courses, but they were just kind of like computer science courses with a different name. Sure. Um, or computer science degrees with a different name. So uh, I didn't go to college. What, after, after I got out of high school, I just, you know, I, there wasn't really, I didn't really know what to do to get started. Um, I wanted to take some time off and uh, just work for a little bit. And I ended up um, just following my girlfriend off to where she went to college and uh you know, that worked out because we're married now. We've been together since <laughs> high school. Um, nice. But I was so terrified of debt and getting into debt because yeah, at the that, time... That stuff sucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I was... I was, I wouldn't say I was convinced, but I had a strong feeling that I didn't want to leave my girlfriend at the time, that, like, I was going to be with her for the foreseeable future. 
And so I was like, well, I don't want to have two student loan payments that we're paying off. You know, like that could have been a really dumb choice. But like I said, we stayed together and got married. So that worked out. Um, I always kind of thought that one day I would meet up with somebody who was a programmer or I'd meet up with somebody else and I would work with them to make a game. Um, I always thought I would be like the design or the art side and someone else would do the programming because I just don't like programming at all. So sure, I never went yeah. to school, you know, and I just kind of spent um, my early 20s just kind of hopping from project to project to project that never saw completion. I can't even tell you, like, I know it's at least over a dozen different games I've worked on at some point through my early to mid-20s that never panned out. Um, and I would just bust my ass on them, and then one by one, every other person would stop working because there's no money involved, nobody's getting paid, and... and, and Anybody else that's probably tried to do a project like this without money being involved probably knows um, everybody falls apart real quick. Nobody is, it's always nobody else is as passionate as you are. And you gotta kind of accept that at a certain point. Um, so that never worked out. Uh, and I eventually decided um, maybe I want to write about games. I got a lot of opinions about games. I got. I, I, you know, I, I'm very good at analyzing them. A lot of people, you know, in my inner circle really respected my opinion on games and, and what was happening in the industry. So I said, I'm going to write about games. And I ended up getting a job writing for a website called Mind of the Geek. Um, worked there for, I can't remember off the top of my head now, um, not terribly long, over a year, maybe close to two years. Um, after my first time I went to E3, I left Mind of the Geek, started my own website with some people that I knew and met at E3. And we ran that website for maybe about seven, eight months before I decided I wanted to leave. And I said, screw it. I want to make games. I'm going to teach myself. There are more than enough tools available right now. We live in a, uh, um, a point in the industry where indies can break out and have successes. Um, this is the time. Nobody's going to work with me. I got to do it by myself and, and go from there, you know? Sure. So that's, that's kind of where I went. There's some, there's some things I dodged in there that uh, will be good stories on their own we'll get to I'm sure so <laughs> so uh, what did you use to, to teach yourself how to make video games so I had two choices and that was jump into Unity or Game Maker Studio mm -hmm. um, when I talked to some people that I knew from writing about games um, they told me that even though you didn't need it right away um, I was going to want to have some scripting knowledge to jump into Unity and I didn't know a lick of programming. I'm, I don't like programming. I'm not into it. So I went with Game Maker Studio, um, initially expecting that it was going to be kind of the garbage that Game Maker used to be about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you that um, Game Maker still has the, I feel like it still has the reputation um, from that it's built over the last 10 years of being a very poor quality software. Like it's easy to use, but you can't make anything really good with it. I got to tell you that is not the case. And I learned that within about a year that that is a it's not the best thing out there but if you don't know how to program um, and you're trying to learn Game Maker Studio is incredibly powerful if you are willing to dedicate yourself to it and learn to it or learn it um, and it has a proprietary scripting language called GML um, that I dedicated to learning so that I could one day wean myself off of it like I wanted to use it as a way of teaching myself the concepts of programming Mm -hmm. um, while also being able to make games, like because I I know like if I had to teach myself programming first, 
I'd be putting in one or two years of programming before I'm even to a point where I can make a good game, you know, uh, or a decent game. And this allowed me to learn while I was actually making the games. Sure. Um, so Abacus is actually going to be my final Game Maker Studio product. Okay. And I intend to be jumping fully into Unity after this, just because Unity is a is a, um, a bit more diverse. It's more... Um, it's more utilized throughout the industry. It, it has uh, support for far more platforms, and it, it'll be you know that stepping stone for me to finally learn a real language like C sharp or C plus plus. Awesome, very cool. Yeah, actually, uh, I picked up Game Maker because they they have constant sales, mm-hmm. um, and so I think I got the uh, maybe like the pro version or something like that uh, okay. for like twenty bucks. Um, and last summer, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to start learning how to make video games. And one of the uh, the intro, because they have tons of training tools in there for anybody that doesn't know. And there's like a, um, a blaster ball thing that you can make, um, a blaster ball clone. Okay. And after about 12 hours, I had, I was about halfway through making a blaster ball clone. And I was like, <laughs> oh my god, this is going to take so much time. And I, I haven't been able to literally just sit down and dedicate an entire day to it And again. that's the thing, is it, it, it takes dedication, for sure. Yeah. Um, and like, so you've dabbled with it, you know, Game Maker kind of has this, uh, this visual interface mm-hmm. um, with all these drag and drop tools and stuff like that for putting together uh, objects and rooms and all this different stuff. Um, the thing that's nice is you don't have to use any of that. You can kind of use it as a structure and just code everything. And that's mm-hmm. what I do, which is why I feel like I am at that point where it's time to, uh, sorry, excuse me, opening my window. <laughs> it's oh. hot in here. I am at that point where I'm ready to let Game Maker Studio go because I don't actually use any of its drag and drop tools. I don't use any of its built in functions or physics engine or any of that stuff. I code all my own. So it's like, um, I've kind of outgrown it, I think, at this point. I'm just clinging on because I'm so uh, I'm scared. You know what I mean? Like, sure, I, sure. I, I'm comfortable with it, and I don't want to. I don't want to let go. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think Game Maker is starting to to lose some of that um, reputation, even if it's not with kind of the the populace at large, just from um, people that are making games. Because I mean, yep. stuff like Hotline Miami was made in exactly. Game Maker. Yep. That's always um, my first example. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a couple of others that I can't think of. I think the um, uh, that that big Kickstarter game uh, with all the neon lights in it. Oh God, what what is that called? Uh, my mind is blanking. I don't even. Um, Hyperlight Drifter. I think that was made okay. in that. I don't um, know off the top of my head about that one, but but um, anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. We are here to talk about Abacus. So now that we know who you are, let's talk about the game that you are making. Okay, what is Abacus? Abacus is <laughs> uh, it's it's an action platformer. It has RPG elements, but it's not an RPG. Uh, it has math elements, but it's not a math game. It's so this is not the successor <laughs> to Math Blaster. No, we're, but, we're not finally getting the sequel to. But funny to that. enough, um, when I first started working on this game, my best friend that I've known since I was uh, eight years old, um, the first thing he started t- he told me he's like, if there's not a Math Blaster reference in this game somewhere, he's like, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, this the Abacus is a weird game, and it's a very hard game to explain. It's a hard game to demonstrate. Um, but I'm playing it, actually, you know, I, I was playing it earlier today as I was working on it. Um, 
there's a game here. I just got to find the right way to uh, to sell it. <laughs> sure. It. Uh, uh, let me try this. Abacus is a Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden inspired action platformer. Can, do you mind if I just kind of break it down layer by layer and we go sure. from there? Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. So at face value, it's an action platformer. This is a melee based game. Um, it's got a very uh, Victorian kind of dark fantasy Castlevania feel to it. So it's kind of dark. It takes place in this haunted manner. Um, you're exploring and fighting all kinds of traditional horror monsters and stuff like that, and generally goofy, spooky monsters. Um, however, it's not as slow and stiff as Castlevania. It features a lot of gameplay and level design elements of Castlevania, but it's faster and more vertical like Ninja Gaiden. Okay. Um, your character has this spear that they can use to jam into walls that allow you to like stick to the wall and then wall jump off of it. And that's kind of similar to the way uh, Ryu jumps off the walls in Ninja Gaiden. Okay. So it's it's a it's a faster Castlevania. It's a more vertical Castlevania. Um, but then you move past that into what makes it unique, and that's uh, Abacus's. The main character's name is Abacus, and she's named that because she is a living, breathing counting apparatus. Um, in the game, kind of the basic lore of it is that every every living thing has uh, a spirit. And that spirit has a numerical value to it. Now, okay. Ab- Abacus is a mathematician, and that means that she has this. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a bit goofy, but I I, I, I kind of just own up to that being goofy. Um, sure. <laughs> she's a mathematician, and her her power is that she's allowed she's uh, able to um, combine her spirit value with the spirit value of other living things, and that may basically makes her able to add and subtract her own value based on the values of the monsters she's killing. So that's where these slight RPG elements come into play. So in an RPG, you know, basic XP system, you you kill monsters, you gain XP, you become more powerful, you level up, yada, yada, yada. Um, Well, in Abacus, that kind of happens. Every monster you kill, their value is added to yours because Abacus is a counting tool. So she's killing monsters, taking whatever their value is, adding it to her own, and that becomes, like, your number, the the higher it gets, the more powerful you are. Your number is always on display on, on the HUD, um, and that is your literal attack stat. So, you know, you do 5 damage when it's 5, you do 25 damage to an enemy when it's 25. Every enemy you kill, you're immediately getting powerful. Um, so in that sense, it's kind of like an RPG, just a really fast-paced RPG. Um, however, the number doesn't only go up. It also goes down. There's, you know, when you're attacked by enemies, they can subtract from your number. Um, there's puzzles you have to solve and spells that you can use that use your number as a resource. So you're literally sacrificing your own melee attack power to do different things to um, have alternate means of fighting or solve puzzles or, you know, um, take out bosses or unlock secret areas and stuff like that. And then on top of that... Um, the number is also your health in that you can't go below zero. Um, okay. So the game is still going through a lot of tweaks right now. Um, as of right now, I'm I'm testing two different versions of the same game, one where you have an independent health bar and one where you don't have a health bar and it's strictly your number. Um, so the game is very early. The Kickstarter is not lying about that. It's the, the concept is there. The core mechanics are built. I'm at the point where I'm starting to actually construct the levels. Um, but I'm still tweaking. Um, but that same basic rule is still there, that the number 
is your life force. It can't go below zero. It's your strength. It's a resource that you use to power all of your abilities. Um, it's this one all thing that just becomes the most important part of the game. Even though the core game has no math or like edutainment, quote unquote, um, properties. Okay. It, it plays just like a Castlevania Ninja Gaiden with RPG elements and resource management. I guess okay. if that can pocket it all up. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so you're like a normal RPG where you're gaining experience, you're doing it in more of kind of a microcosm where you're you're gaining so much and then you can lose some. Mm-hmm. So w- when you said that, um, so how do you lose it? Do you lose the numbers by getting hit? Are there certain attacks that reduce the number? Both of or, those. Um, okay. The number is constantly fluctuating. Okay. Um, you lose the number when you get hit, and it's based on every other enemy has a value. So, like, their damage, when they damage you, that's how much you'll lose off of your number. Okay, so just like when, if you, if the enemy was five, and you kill it, and five gets added to you, if they hit you, five gets removed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, you kind of, like, and, and enemies have, um, all enemies of a certain type will have the same number. So if you, you know, fight a skeleton knight, all skeleton knights have the same number value. You don't have to, like, guess at what they are. And you have, um, the numbers aren't displayed on the screen at all times. You can crouch and meditate to display numbers because I didn't want the screen to be too cluttered. And I figured that since the numbers are the same for, you know, the, uh, each repeated enemy, players would learn them. Just like in a normal game, you learn how much health uh, enemies have just by killing them enough times, you know? Sure. Um, so I, I, I have it as an optional thing that you can remind yourself by crouching down and it'll display the number value of every enemy on screen. Um, but no, it's it's um, when you get hurt, you lose uh, you lose some of your number. When you cast a spell, spells are like your sub weapons from Castlevania, like the axe and the dagger and the holy water. When you use a spell, that consumes your number, but those are all like very OP. Um, and then uh, there's puzzles and stuff like that that you have to use your number and change your number to uh, to get through a level. Like for example, um, there's a there's a level where you have to use gravity boots to get through. And uh, the gravity boots actually change the stat of the gravity based on what your number is. So there's parts where the ceiling is really low and it's got like spikes and stuff like that and axes swinging from it. And so you, if you jump high, you're going to get yourself killed. So you have to um, kill a bunch of enemies to get your number value really high up so that the gravity is really strong so you don't jump very high. Mm-hmm. And then And then later on in that level, you'll have to like like expend some of that number to lighten up the gravity so you can make it over these large jumps or up these tall uh, tall staircases and towers and stuff like that. Um, there's a portion in the game that you use these magnetic gloves as an item and um, you get to a point much later in the game where you start actually learning to utilize negative numbers which is like Abacus's version of like the dark side of the force. Um, and so you get to these uh, these portions where there's positive and negative magnetic platforms and shifting chunks of building that you use these magnetic gloves to um, attract and push away these different platforms and magnetic surfaces. Um, and throughout the level, you're kind of finding ways to swap yourself between positive and negative um, to get through the environment and solve puzzles and stuff like that. So. I, I, I express a lot to people when I explain it. Abacus is not a math game. It is heavily about numbers, and the main character's whole gimmick is that she is a living counting tool. 
but it's about number puzzles and, and puzzles that use that number as a resource. It's not a math game. Okay. So as far as lore goes, um, you're, you already mentioned that you're a math magician, which I assume is a uh, basically like a math Jedi. Yeah, essentially. Um, and you said that you're a living... Um, you know, calculator, basically. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're an abacus. So is, is abacus alive, or was she, like, brought to life from an actual abacus? Like, what's... No, she's she's alive. So okay. she's she's the member of a kind of a secret society. Hmm. And um, it's this... this uh, it used to be, you know... In, in the game, the whole lore is that these legends tell of these uh, math magicians, and they used to roam the world, and they protected the world from, you know, um, dark magic you know dark math and stuff like that okay um they just kept the world all, safe all math is dark math for anybody <laughs> wondering <laughs> but they so they just kept they kept the world safe and then uh you know they're just legend at this point uh it's a, it's at the time that the game takes place we're in a point in the the game's world that nobody alive has ever seen a math magician they're just legend oh. um her family is all that's left of the math magicians and she is the uh she's the youngest um, and so they just kind of live in exile, um, training each other and, and, and teaching each other to harness these abilities that they're born with. Um, and they just kind of lie in waiting for this, uh, this, this evil, um, eruption that they have been prophesizing and that they keep te- like passing this story on to their, their children. It's like that saying like, at some point this great evil is coming and we need to be here. And we need to be hiding, and, and we need to be ready for when it comes, you know. So, like, that's kind of, like, the setup of the game. Okay. Gotcha. So, like, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a story there, and, um, and there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, there's a, there's a decent cast of characters. There's, there's actual story development in this game, um, and there's a, there's a, you know, I wouldn't call it, uh, like, phenomenal, you know what I mean? I'm going to be honest about what it is, but there is a story here that I, I think it's kind of an interesting story. It's got some characters that I think are likable and, and have distinct personalities, um, and I think people are going to be, going to find it surprisingly enjoyable, considering how silly and just kind of dumb the actual uh, <laughs> thematics of the game are. Um, but just like Gunworld before it, you know, I I like to be just stupid enough that you can laugh at it and just kind of like enjoy that it's it's kind of silly but sure. but cool enough that you're like oh this is this is this is more interesting than i thought it was you know mm-hmm. and at the same time it kind of seems like something that would have existed on like the nes or Exi- yeah yeah <laughs> it's because it's just silly enough you know like right. those, those games they had kind of like some of them had a serious theme to them you know but they were really silly Mega Man is really really silly but like sure you know, the guy's trying to take over the world and he's got robots, like, hurting people and stuff like that. Like, it's a quote-unquote serious event in the story. Right. But it's really silly. Right. In- inside the game, it-, it takes itself seriously, but the metagame itself knows that it's... Yeah. It's kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the key to it. To, sure. to To accept and know that you're dumb. And embrace <laughs> it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, now, when I when I watched the uh, the Kickstarter video, one of the things that jumped out to me uh, most was the soundtrack. Like, mm-hmm. it's all kinds of like good chip tuny stuff. Are you composing that? Is is that contractor work? How? Where did the music come from? So the music comes from a very close friend of mine who okay. uh, is a composer. 
by trade and uh, also happens to have an affinity for classic games like I do. Um, it's actually when I was in my early 20s, this was a guy I used to jam with a lot. We used to play music a lot together. And um, he used to just always bust out these great um, like jam sessions on old 8-bit and 16-bit NES and SNES games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just jammed to them and stuff like that. So like, when I got to a point when um, I was doing Gunworld 2, actually, that's when I... Uh, got in touch with him and I was like dude like I'm making this game I know you love this type of music you're an excellent composer like what can you do for me he did a couple of tracks for Gunworld 2 um, but could not do the whole soundtrack so I had to like contract out a little bit more for that but for Abacus he was he was all in he's um, so this this guy I'm working very closely with he gets it he loves this type of music and um, since I know him personally and we have such a good relationship um, it makes it very easy for me to get in there and, and kind of control the flow of the music too and kind of explain to him like we have a really good uh flow just between us you know like mm-hmm. i can tell him what i'm looking for i can tell him in english you know what i mean what i don't like about what he's doing or the feeling that i want and stuff like that and we click so well that uh that he can translate that into composer speak or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean because I, I play music um but very casually so I'm not I'm not a composer of any kind, but I know how to say in English what I'm looking for. <laughs> so I'm nice. I'm very involved with it, but okay. uh, I don't actually compose it myself. Okay, very cool. Um, now, obviously, like from the the color palette and overall style, your um, looks like you're trying to limit yourself to you know what would have been possible on like an NES. Um, is there any particular reason behind that? Um, there's three reasons the first reason is I and you know I'm just clinging on to it but I love the NES um, sure. I still play it all the time I got one hooked up literally right behind me <laughs> um, in my office uh, I love the NES I like the way it looks um, some of the really like late, end, late era NES games just look really good despite the limitations um, the second thing is or the second reason is working within limitations is really fun. Uh, I've actually found that I've gotten my most creative when I've been on a strict timeline um, or had very strict rules to follow and I had to get creative with them. Um, sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes you wish like you could do a little bit more or you had a little bit more colors, but then I remind, remind myself in those very, very rare instances it's not an NES game and I can break the rules a little bit and sometimes I do. Um, the third reason, I'm a one-man indie, and I know sometimes people throw this around when they see indie games that have pixel art, and they're like, oh, it's just because the developers are lazy, or they can't do like 3D art, or they can't do 2D hand-drawn art. I'm going to tell you, I can do 2D hand-drawn all that, but look at Cuphead, and look how long that game is taking to come out. And Cuphead's, Cuphead's not a complex game by any means. Um, it's fantastic. It's fantastic, but it's not complex. It's the art that is just like killing the de- the dev time on that game. Sure. Um, so yeah, p- some people that aren't really into game development throw that around like it's a bad thing, but they're not wrong. I mean, I'm one person and I have to produce these games in a time frame where I can make money on them. Um, and it just so happens that working within you know pixel art or the limitations of the NAS makes it a lot more feasible for me to get a game done and have it actually still look like it has a style or like a consistency to it. Sure. 
Um, Makes so, sense. So those are my reasons. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, uh, the game's currently uh, up on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so what's, what are some of the uh, rewards that you've got out there for people to get? What, what are some of your favorites? Um, I think my favorite one, my favorite two, would be um, designing a boss for the game and getting yourself in the game as a playable character. Okay, um, so would that be just like a skin for Abacus? Kind of. Um, okay. I, I can't really get too much into it um, because it's dumb, but it would to even explain it would really spoil something. Okay. Um, but you'd be kind of a skin for Abacus. You'd, you'd just be able to play the entire game as yourself but you'd be a little different. You'd have different abilities. Um, okay. But you'd still have all the abilities you need to beat the game, um, if that makes sense or if that's enough of an answer. Sure. Um, the boss one is for, like, an alternate secret Kickstarter area. Um, or, you know, theoretically, that's what it would be for. Um, you know, we don't have to dance around the fact that the Kickstarter's not going well, so, you know, that that's something we can... Uh, you know, be realistic about, but that's what it would be. Um, is there's there's a set of levels that are um, exclusive to Kickstarter content that would okay. have uh, Kickstarter designed puzzles, enemies, and bosses, and you'd design the basic patterns for them, the the general look, and it would basically be these one-on-one streams where you talk with me and uh, we go over the art, you know, once a month and figure out how everything's looking and, and uh, I get builds to you to play the levels and stuff like that. Okay. Cool. So as far as the uh, the Kickstarter, uh, what... If, if the Kickstarter goes well and you get the money, what does that let you do that you can't do? So, it, it's two main things right now. Um, one, it's making sure the game can... Uh, come to all platforms, and uh, and by all platforms, I guess I I should say the main the main three for like AAA gaming or modern gaming, the PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and and Steam. Okay. Um, right now the game is only confirmed for Xbox One. Uh, regardless of Kickstarter status, the game is coming to Xbox One. Um, but for PlayStation Four and Steam, it's entirely up in the air if that's going to happen. Um, there will be a PC release, but uh, Steam's a, a little bit more of a headache to get into. Um, but for PS4, it it really is like not likely to happen, it, at least at launch, if we don't uh, succeed with the Kickstarter. And then the other thing is the game, um, the Kickstarter money would allow me to bring on an additional contractor for uh, art. And that can essentially does two things. It lets me um, focus more on the gameplay, the coding, the level design, and stuff like that to make sure that stuff is more polished and and can have a little bit more content in the game when it's ready to go. And two, it also can help make the art look better because when I have to do all the different parts of the game myself, uh, some things I have I have to spend less time on. Because um, sure. I do this I do this actually full-time. This is my job. Um, I'm able to kind of like, I, I make enough that I, I stay afloat, you know, I know a lot of other indies um, will either do contract work on the side or they'll have a day job. Um, but right now, this is actually, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have this be what I do. Um, so 
because of that, I, I'm not necessarily as flexible as other indies because I don't have an income coming from somewhere else. My budget is set right from the beginning because sure, that's sure. how much money I have from my last game or you know that's how much money is left in the till in my business and stuff like that. So um, it really does matter. So I really do have to divert away from how good the art could look because I need to focus on this boss that's not working properly or this level that no matter what I'm doing it's just not fun and I need to rethink the whole thing or you know what I mean sure yeah so uh, now you mentioned that it's confirmed for Xbox One yeah um, and that that's actually kind of surprising uh, I mean not not necessarily in this particular instance because you've already released two games for the Xbox um, but I don't know. When this generation started, it seemed like the PlayStation was like the all-inclusive home for indies to go to and, and find refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, what what makes it more difficult getting it on to the PS4 versus the Xbox? Um, I don't know how much I'm really allowed to say. Sure, That's um, understandable. <laughs> but there are there but there are costs involved. Okay. Um, there you know that's that's pretty much it. Um. There was, uh, I guess I can comment on one thing. Um, Early on in the generation, it was a commonly told thing on boards like NeoGAF and and stuff like that, that uh, indies got PS4 dev kits for free. um, And Xbox was the the platform that was like not as friendly to indies. Mm -hmm. And that may have been the case right when the PS4 came out. I can't tell you. But... um, I still see that anecdotally getting thrown around, and it's not true. Huh. Um, okay. So there are costs involved, and and maybe it's because the PlayStation Four is overwhelmed right now or overflowing <laughs> with great developers. Um, and with Xbox, um, I got right in, and uh, I mean, I didn't get right in actually. I was I was I had to work to to get into Xbox, but. Um, when I say I got right in it, is there wasn't uh, once they accepted me, they just got me everything I needed. They got me in touch with all the people I needed to have help developing. And I got to tell you honestly, um, the ID at Xbox team has been phenomenal partners. They are so great to work with. They're so helpful. Um, they've just been a, a, a great crew to work with. And I, I wish I could sit here and say the same about Sony, but I just haven't got to work with them yet. So I'm not saying the opposite about Sony either. Not, sure, not sure. in any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying I haven't got to work with them yet. Uh, I'm very eager to. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the PS4. Actually, for the first half of this generation so far, it was my primary um, console that I gamed on. And uh, if I'm playing indie games or 2D games, I always play them on my PS4 or my Vita. Um, I love those platforms. I love the way the Vita and the PS4 work with each other, especially like sharing content and stuff like that. And my games are a perfect fit for not only the PS4 but um, the the Vita and uh, the yeah. the the fan base of the PS4. Like really, they they welcome these types of games with open arms. It's a you know they are very different demographics on Xbox and PlayStation. Um, so I want to be on all platforms. I want to be on PS4. I want to be on Vita. Um, but it's just not the way the cards are being dealt right now. Okay, I gotcha. Um, what about Steam? Um, as far as that goes, I mean, is that just the the labyrinth that is Greenlight? Or yeah, okay. um, Gunworld Two is actually stuck in Greenlight right now. 
um, it's a little frustrating because Gunworld is on Steam, and uh, I really want um, the sequel on there. But uh, you know, even though the first game's on there, I gotta go through Greenlight to get the sequel in, and it's just kind of blocked. Um, mm. I'm having the same trouble with Greenlight as I am with Kickstarter, and that's really that I don't have much of an audience. There's uh, there's people that have played my games, and they're very vocal with me, and they engage with me a lot. Um, and but that's it's not a large audience, but it makes it very very difficult. You get caught in this loop where you have this game, and it's it's out there, and the people that have played your games like it. And, mm-hmm. and, and they want it to succeed and they're excited about it and they talk to you about it um, and they share it and stuff like that but for it to be bigger you need the people with a voice to share it and sure. you know and, and, and getting in touch with them and having them take you seriously and stuff like that uh, can be very very difficult um, sometimes it feels like a, a real uphill battle um, constantly talking or engaging with people and, and not really getting anywhere Mm-hmm. Um, and regularly kind of being told like, oh, you know, keep at it. When you're a little bigger, you're, you know, you we can we can we can probably do something about you that will because they're they're all doing the same thing. I make games and I gotta do whatever in the end that I have to make money. Um, right. And all the people that I need to help me become bigger so I can make money. Well, those people only have so much time to write and produce content, and they're gonna produce content about the things that are going to get them ad revenue. Or money, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like it's this cycle where it's like you're not big enough for us to cover you because we're not going to get any traffic from covering you. So get bigger. And I'm like, what? I need your voice to get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I'm stuck with Kickstarter and and uh, Greenlight right now. It makes it very difficult to get through um, at all. You know. Sure, sure. Understand that. Absolutely. <laughs> um. All right. Well, um, so I guess uh, in, in the end, uh, if this if the Kickstarter doesn't go through, uh, what what does that spell for um, Abacus? Is it, it the projected release is the beginning of two thousand seventeen? Is that still hold true? Um, yes, but it's going to be more flaky. Okay. Um, if the Kickstarter doesn't go through, uh. It's it's hard to say the game could possibly get pushed into spring of 2017. It really just depends on what unforeseen things might come up. Sure. Um, but the game is still absolutely happening. Uh, okay. It'll just be happening at a smaller scale. Um, and some things that I'd really, really like to do to really maximize the potential of the game will probably not be able to happen. Um but I've, you know, I've got a sheet that I look at. It's like a design document and stuff like that for both versions of this game. And I'm very, very proud and excited about both versions. Obviously, the better one that I'm also able to bring, you know, to PS4 day one. That's the one I really want to do. Um, but there's this slightly more conservative version of the game that is also still, it's, it's the game, you know. Um, just with a little less bells and whistles. And that's still going to happen. And then at the very least, that will be coming to Xbox One. And at that point, I will be kind of... Uh, I will be waiting to see how it sells before I look into the costs of bringing it to PlayStation 4 after the fact. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, it... Uh, that, you know... 
I don't know. It's, it's always weird when uh, you get a Kickstarter that's kind of in limbo like that. And it's like, man, that sounds awesome. And I hope this all goes insanely well. But then that's just not always the, the nature yeah. of the industry. And it's, it's, what's really uh, disheartening is, um, you know, I never really got a lot of attention with Gunworld or Gunworld 2. And, and I understand why. Um, and for a lot of reasons, I can understand why. Uh, because they weren't really terribly unique games. There's unique elements to Gunworld 2. Um mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think when you get down into it, uh, I, I try not to be um, too biased about it, but I think Gunworld 2 is a good game. It's not fantastic, but I, I did what I could with the resources I had, and I'm very proud of Gunworld 2. But finding coverage for it was very, very difficult. Um, <laughs> but with Abacus, uh, the reactions I got from people, um, some of my friends that I know just like inside the industry and stuff like that, the reactions told me I had something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to the point where I was starting to shop around the idea of the Kickstarter to um, friends of mine and then friends of friends within the industry at different places at rather large outlets all over the place. Um, and more and more reactions were coming in from these people that were getting a look at the Kickstarter page before it launched. And it's just people saying, this is really cool or this is really neat. And they kept asking questions about how different things worked because they wanted to know more. And, so that was giving me this good feeling. I was like, maybe this is going to work out. Maybe people are going to be uh, really wanting to talk about this. Um, but nobody's wanted to talk about it. Hmm. And I can understand why. We, you know, we already kind of covered on that before. Um, and there's also the whole element of a lot of people have been burned by Kickstarter. Sure. Um, so it's, it's just this thing where like most websites don't want to cover Kickstarters anymore. Um, A lot of Kickstarters have been funded and the game came out terrible or never came out. Um, My hope was that by showcasing like, hey, uh, you know, whether or not you like my previous games, they released. Uh, I'm I'm a proven developer at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one instance in my past that if you really want to bring back up is kind of shitty. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know if I could swear on this cast. You you can, it's fine. (laughs) Um... I have one instance in my past that uh, uh, I think you could still bring up that's bad, but it's a long time ago, and my recent history ever since you know I started developing games is nothing but, uh, well, successes, quote-unquote, in the sense that the games were finished and released. Sure. Um, but, yeah, did you... I'm, I'm actually kind of curious. Did you Google me? I did, yeah. Okay, did you find Bad Dudes 2... I did not find that dude too. No, <laughs> uh, I figured that was gonna come up because I was like, I was like, if this guy wants to do an interview, he's gonna Google me. Oh, I, and he's gonna find bad dudes too. I did not uh, oh. find bad dudes. If, no. Well, if you, I, I'm uh, now insanely intrigued. Okay, well, if you want, we can talk about bad dudes too for a minute because that'd be cool. Absolutely, let's talk about bad dudes too. What very, what is bad dudes too? Bad dudes too was my my uh, one of my first attempts at really doing a full retail project. This was right around the time that the Ouya was real big on Kickstarter. Uh, I can't remember if my campaign was after the Ouya ended or what, but there was a lot of stuff going on with Bad Dudes too. So I got together with a group of people, um, but none of them were people that I knew in real life. Um, they were just like a couple different. There was uh, artist, a programmer, um, and I got in touch with this company called G-Mode that purchased the, um, I can't remember if they purchased Data East or if they purchased all of the 
or the majority of the assets of Data East. But either way, G-Mode owned Bad Dudes. I got in touch with them. I said, hey, there's this game, Bad Dudes. I had it when I was a kid. I've always had it like as long as I can remember. For some reason, I really like this game. Nobody's ever done anything with it, so I approached them about doing a sequel. And they were all for it. So um, they gave me this contract that gave me the rights to produce a sequel to Bad Dudes. Um, and then I started working with the people at Ouya, and it was initially thought we were going to pitch it as like a Ouya exclusive. Um, and then things didn't end up going through with that, and I guess that's good because the Ouya didn't really go through at all anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is true. <laughs> uh, but uh, for a while, you know, we were talking about that. Um, so what happened is I had 30 days... They gave me like the, the rights and stuff like that, and the whole thing was that we were going to do a Kickstarter campaign to fund the game. Um, and they they gave me 30 days to uh, 60 days total to put together my Kickstarter pitch, and that you know the, the 60 days included the 30 days of the Kickstarter. So I had 30 days to put together a Kickstarter and try and uh, figure out how I was going to pitch this thing and sell this thing, and then I had the 30 days of the Kickstarter itself. And a lot of things went wrong, namely because I had never made a game before. I was really naive to what was really going into it, and um, and I uh, I I made a really bad mistake of announcing the game with like this kind of iffy um, Shank style 2D art, like hand drawn art, and everybody hated it immediately. And um, the first thing I said on a Kotaku article, I was down in the comments talking with people, and I was like, I specifically didn't do it as pixel art because that was starting to become like a um, like a cliche thing already at that point. This was right. like 2012, um, and I was like, oh, like you know, I wanted to do pixel art, but I thought people would be like, oh, it's another nostalgia pixel art game. Blah. So I was like, okay, let's not do pixel art. That was the wrong call. People wanted it to be pixel art. Like, this game shouldn't look like this. So I immediately turned around, uh, switched the artist, uh, got this artist who did incredible um, art that looked just like the, the box arts of those old games. And then he also did this great uh, SNES, um, like SNK style pixel art. And so we quickly switched the tones and we were pitching the game as like the Super Nintendo sequel that Bad Dudes never got, but it should have. Um, and the Kickstarter just bombed. And I got to tell you, that carried with my reputation every time I tried anything ever since. Um, my early years of writing in press and stuff like that, constantly when I talked to somebody from another outlet, they brought that up. They're like, oh, you're the, guy, you're the bad dude too guy that made that horrible Kickstarter that bombed miserably and you're a joke. And I'm like, I know. Like, And the thing that sucks about it is like, I think the overall feeling that was left from it was that it wasn't legit or it was some sort of scam and stuff like that. But no matter how many times I said it, people didn't believe me that I was like, no, like, look at, I, I can't post the document, but I have the rights to do this. Like, this is an official, <laughs> this is an official sequel. And yeah, I've never produced a game before, but I'm working with this guy and working with this guy. And, and, and it was just a whole mess. Um, I, you know, I, I went about the Kickstarter in every wrong way that I possibly could. And it was a huge learning experience. Um, since then, uh, they, they gave me another um, 
and I don't remember the terms at the time, but they gave me, I think, another month after the Kickstarter failed to continue working on the game and try to pitch it again. So this time we were going to try and do a Kickstarter again, but with a playable demo. And um, we made it about three weeks three weeks in before the other people didn't want to work on it anymore because there was no money. We were all having to work on it for free with the hopes that it would get funded. Um, and we had a playable demo. So I'm, I could say now nobody's ever seen it, but there is a playable demo of a potential what would have been Bad Dudes 2 in a backup <laughs> of mine somewhere around here. <laughs> um, but it was just, I did everything wrong. And if I, if I could have gone into that with the experience I have now, I really think that could have been so much different. Sure. But I'm the Bad Dudes 2 guy. That's the, that's the thing you can bring up for my past. It's like, this is the idiot that tried to get Bad Dudes 2 funded. And I will also say, yes, I've tried to do it again now that I've uh, actually been, you know, released a couple of games. I've tried to do it again. Um, there was some talk happening. But uh, okay. but there's a, there's a lot of money they want now. So <laughs> I, I can't afford it. But if I had the money, you better believe I'd be making Bad Dudes 2. <laughs> Nice, very nice. All right, well, let's let's uh, jump into our final round. Uh, it's uh, part of the interview that we like to call the end game. Uh, it's personal questions. It does not reflect um, your company, even though that's just you. So I guess it kind of does. Uh, but it's it's all just fun stuff. And the first question is: Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Donkey Kong. Okay. That's an easy one, Donkey Kong. That's wow. That that might be the fastest answer we've ever had there. <laughs> That's good. Why why Donkey Kong? Donkey Kong is pure video game to me. Um, I love Donkey Kong because just by looking at him, without um, without him talking, you know who he is. You know what he stands for. You know the base. You know the base levels of his personality, and um, he he physically kind of represents all of his abilities in the game too. He's just he's just great. You look at him and you know exactly what he does. You know what he's about. You know who he is. He's he's great. He's the best. Okay. And when he golfs, he's the best cuz he golfs with one hand. He drives the go-karts. He's just he's awesome. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh flipping that, uh who's your favorite antagonist? My favorite antagonist. That's a little harder. Um this might not be actually my favorite, but it's one that really comes to mind, and that is Ganondorf, specifically from Wind Waker. Okay. Um, I think he had... I think in that game he had a great story arc of his own that painted him as not just a mindless, I-want-to-destroy-the-world kind of villain. Um, parts of his, his story arc kind of cast him as the hero in his own mind. Um, there was just more complexities to it. There was a lot more to to that character, and uh, I really like that when it's a little bit more gray when you get into it and you realize, you know, um, the villain's not just a villain. He, in his eyes, the best villains think of themselves as heroes. Oh, sure, a absolutely. the The best villains absolutely think of themselves as heroes, unless they're the Joker, and they're just completely nuts. Yeah, but then the, you know, and when you do that right, that's amazing. Yes. But uh, uh, I think I'll have to say, off the top of my head, he's my favorite. Okay. 
All right, uh, moving on from there, uh, are there any trends happening in the uh, game industry right now that you really like uh, and either just they're not getting enough uh, movement and traction, like not enough people know about them, or just something that you really like and you just want to see more of? Um, one of them, yeah, can I say a couple of things? Sure. Yeah. Uh, one of them uh, is timely because SGDQ is going on right now, but um, yep. it's it's the combination of a love of... Um, retro style games so you got things like Shovel Knight and like Spelunky and stuff like that like there's, there's this love of retro style games or difficulty in games that's coming back um, and then there's that spectation slash excuse me sport um, or metagame sport of games and that's from Twitch um, where people are finding ways to enjoy video games and are on a spectator level and finding ways to make meta games out of games with speed running and stuff like that and um, having games that are procedurally generated that are fun to watch people play because you get to laugh with them as they fail at the horrible things that they never saw coming and stuff like that. Um, I love that, you know, about current trends. Awesome. All right. Uh, again, uh, kind of flipping that around, are there any tropes that you would you just wish would die and go away? Um, the modern military shooter and it's kind of starting to seem like that's on its way out has been for a couple of years not that I have anything against it actually some of my you know some of those games from the 360 PS3 generation that were just like the modern military shooter kind of thing I really like like I love the first modern warfare um, yeah. but it's not that there was a problem inherently with it it's just that it got tired and it's not enough that that genre um, was so prevalent. You know, you could say through that generation, oh, just don't play those games. Um, but they became so popular that everything else was trying to be them. And, and elements of them bled into everything. I'm replaying Resident Evil 5 right now with a buddy of mine. And being several years away from that game's release and that boom of modern military shooters... It's crazy to go back and play that in, after having just played Resident Evil 4 and I'm seeing all of this bleed through of like a cover system and like there's parts where the zombies all of a sudden just have guns and they're shooting at you and it's like it's like they just ha and like in the characters are like military style and they have military lingo and it's like that stuff just felt so tired and it just was getting it was bleeding into everything you couldn't get away from it um, and I'm glad that's finally dying down and people are embracing color and and cheer and a little bit more whimsical nature in their games again. Something a little bit more, I don't know, just fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Alright. Um, if you could do anything else, you're, you're living the dream, you're making video games, but if you could give any other profession a try, what do you think that would be? I'd be a drummer. In a, okay. in a band. Um, what kind of band? Uh, so one of two. <laughs> I'd love to be in a uh, like a classic rock tribute band because at this point it's uh I would not be a welcome addition to any <laughs> like replacing <laughs> in in a established long running band because whenever you change somebody they I'm I'm with them you always get mad. Um, so I'd like to be in like a tribute like a big tribute, um, Coliseum rock cover band classic rock, um. I'd also like to be in a, a a punk band, maybe pop or like like pop punk um, that that uh, or grunge like the '90s sound something like um, Blink One Eight Two or Green Day, or uh, 
a little bit different, but you know, like that grunge, like Nirvana or something like that. Uh, I was a '90s kid, so I really, really dig that sound. I think that sound is still really solid. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's gone away long enough that it can come back, and and and, and you know, people can enjoy that. But I love that type of music. It's energetic. It's fast. I still play rock band, so I get my drumming out like that. <laughs> but I'd be a drummer. Nice. Very nice. All right. Uh, now for the second to last question. If you could play any game over again for the very first time, what would it be? Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I got to pick one. Mm-hmm. Oh... See, this is more the agony that I was expecting from you for the other question. Mm-hmm. This is so hard. <laughs> this is so hard. Um, I'm going to say A Link to the Past. Mm. That's okay. it's a really hard choice, but that, um, that game, that was the defining moment in my childhood when I knew I wanted to make games when I played Link to the Past and it was just really inspirational to me and it and it just it took me out of my my home situation and it took me out of uh what was sometimes kind of a shitty life back then. Um and it just gave me something that was a little bit more magical and, and exciting to explore and stuff like that. And it's that feeling like I, I know there's better examples of it nowadays, but I I I can't help but wonder if I could play that again for the first time, not knowing anything about it, if I could rekindle some of that and and get inspired again. Hmm. Nice. All right, and the uh, the final question. Uh, When you get to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom at the end of your life and Saint Toad is there with the book of the deeds of your life. Not Toad. um, Oh, it's Toad. It's absolutely Toad. What do you want him to say to you? About my life? Eh, about anything. He just, he has the tome that has, like, everything you've ever done. So it can be about your life. It it can be whatever. It's Toad. He may not even talk. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I want him with his raspy, awful smoker voice to to tell me that, uh, you know, you made some people laugh. Everybody died anyways, but uh, some people's lives were a little bit better because you were around, so feel good about that. (laughs) Because that's been a long-running theme in my life. (laughs) Just to make other people happy. So, that's what I want Toad to tell me, with his awful voice, because then then he can make me happy while he's doing it. (laughs) That voice is just hysterical. Uh, so you just find out that uh, Toad's been a chain smoker all this time. I can't yes. imagine that he's not smoking constantly <laughs> inside those mushroom houses. Just because, like, what else is he, like, there's no other reasonable explanation for him to sound like that. I've got a lot of smokers in my life, and they all sound like Toad. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, congratulations. You passed. Uh, you don't get anything except uh, our undying respect and oh, admiration. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I'll put that in my pocket for another day. You, you do that. <laughs> With that and, uh, what, like a buck sixty-nine, you can buy Coke. Excellent. Um, so... <laughs> Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the Darkcast. I had a great time. If you could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more about Abacus. 
uh, you can go to uh, <laughs> I don't know the link, but if you go to Kickstarter and search for Abacus, you can find Abacus. Uh, that's the best. The Kickstarter page is the best place for you to find all the information about the game. Uh, I am working on a new thing, new section of my website, redesigning it. So very soon, you can just go to www.m07games.com. That'll have all the information about Abacus. Or you can go to twitter.com slash m07games, and you can just ask me about it, and I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again uh, for, for joining us on the show and oh, talking about you. Abacus. Good luck with the uh, the Kickstarter and the game development and, uh, you know, the, the little children that you're raising and all that kind of stuff. That's yeah. all crazy and daunting, and I wish you the best. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. This was fun. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>